Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I'm John Pollock alongside Waiting live on a Wednesday night, a special live edition for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe tonight. As Waiting woke up this morning and he thought of blood, guts, and Patreon perks. Oh, of course. Yeah. Blood, guts, and uh, uh, Zoom. Of course. Yeah. The final frontier that it was. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Yeah, not bad. How are you? I'm doing good. Okay. Why? Anything, any reasons in particular that you'd uh, like to share? Uh, it was raining for a bit today and then it stopped raining. That that put me in a good mood. Don't like the rain? Well, it was more so I was planning to go out and that required walking and then the rain stopped in time for me to go out. So that really coordinated timing wise. So I appreciated that part. Where did you go? Uh, way I oh I went to uh I went to a big party. Um, it was about fifty of us. No, I went. To, show? I, I went to go grab a coffee. Uh, that was my big outing for the day. Exciting man. Yeah, yeah, exciting as shit. Yeah. Did you get out today? Do much? Did I? Um, I I also went to grab a coffee, but it was it was via car. So by car? Oh my! Car, Something yeah. a specialty. Um, a specialty? No, no, it was just in the middle of dropping, dropping Pauline off. That's all. Okay. So not that exciting. I'm sorry. Where'd you, where'd you get your coffee at? I went to this place called, uh, Chavetta Coffee on, um, Bathurst. Fancy. Yeah. It was really not that fancy. I just got a regular coffee. Did you go in? Was it drive-through? I got, I I went in. Yeah. I don't know many drive-through coffee places except like McDonald's. There's like, t- yeah, anyway, let's, we let's move on. There's a lot to this. talk about. Yeah. We got the big blood and guts show to get through tonight and up on the site, going to make quick mention of some shows that we have dropped uh, recently. We have a big interview up there with uh, Drew McIntyre of WWE chatting about his new book. We've also got uh, rewind a raw from Monday with a big discussion on the Randy Savage A&E biography that many people are discussing the content of. We also have uh, up next from the, BDE Tower, whatever they're naming their their new headquarters, uh, that is up, covering a very strong edition of NXT from Tuesday night. And then coming up this week, we've got our big Rewind Away dropping Friday with myself, Phil Chertok, and Eric Marcotte discussing Affliction Band. Mm-hmm. Affliction Band, yeah. Uh, MMA show somehow featuring Fedor Emelianenko, uh, Tim Sylvia, and Donald Trump. All rolled into one, yes, uh, including uh, the Undertaker with his Affliction jeans in the front row. Stone Steve Austin, as it, Michael Buffer introduced him. Stone Steve Austin, wow! Stone it is a slice Steve of, Austin. It is it is quite the slice of what two thousand nine, eight, two thousand eight. Yeah, quite the time. So that's dropping on Friday, and the whole schedule is up at postwrestling.com and. Uh, Check it all out. We'll be back on two, on Friday night after Throwback Smackdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, a lot of uh, Post Wrestling Cafe perks 
at the beginning of the month here. We also have our New Japan Dontaku review that's, uh, that just went up yesterday. So uh, we thank everybody who's joined up with us for May. Yes, and for those that uh, maybe are not aware, we are live uh, double double ice cap and espresso patrons. We are live every Monday and Wednesday after Raw, after Dynamite, and then all patrons get live access after SmackDown on Friday nights, where we open up the phone lines. But uh, we will take some calls at the end of tonight's show. Correct? Yeah, let's do it. It's a big show. All right, let's uh, go through some news items. Uh, the big one. Uh, this coming from Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful, who reported this on Tuesday night that last week uh, Daniel Bryan's uh, contract expired this uh, coming in conjunction with the Roman Reigns match on SmackDown. Uh, we were uh, able to confirm this on our end as well. Uh, and Dave Meltzer adding that the WWE is uh, vigorously trying to sign Bryan, but it would appear way that as of now, uh, Daniel Bryan uh, would not be contractually obligated to WWE. It doesn't mean that he is, uh, he is gone, that he's not going to return or resign, but it looks at this point like his contract is up and that is naturally going to open up a lot of speculation and what what Daniel Bryan sees as his next step in his career. Quite amazing that, I mean, this news just kind of crept out of nowhere from, you know, Fightful yesterday that, the you know, the fact that this, we were really just talking about how little fanfare or at least, uh, you know, in terms of ratings that match received on friday and lo and behold like there was actually some real life consequences potentially attached to it and what a small deal it was i mean i guess if you're the wwe you're not looking at this as any sort of like you know final goodbye but the possibility does exist and so uh the continue the speculation of where daniel bryan might end up just got a lot more interesting than simply just nxt or raw do you foresee that there's just a big gap that maybe he's just going to take time off now like the story has set it up for him to disappear i I don't think this would be something where let's race to get back onto television immediately um i I would think for himself uh after this he probably like this guy's been going hard for this entire pandemic i mean he has been one of the consistent uh people on television every single week that i'm sure he's looking for you know time to assess and then if it's wwe come back at a more opportune time he has some incredible leverage right now that I think he should absolutely just sit back and enjoy and really take his time before making a decision. Uh, you know, it's it, it it's really mm, difficult to to be in a position like this when you're wrapped up in you know contracts that often are as long as they are with this company and the world is just so big for creativity right now for somebody like him, you know, to be able to enjoy. So. Certainly as a fan, I think we all want to see him explore options outside of this current system. Um, there's so much potential for him to do things out, out of it. He's talked about it himself. We know he watches other products. I've heard people you know, speculate whether or not he would leave the WWE because of his wife. I don't think that really has any bearing, you know, like... Brie Bella, even if she's going to make a potential comeback, Total Bellas, all that stuff will be fine with or without Brian. So... Um, I'm really curious to see where he moves. I mean, I'm sure the WWE is doing everything they can to try to keep him. He has a lot when, when money is not the driving factor. And I mean, the last time Brian's uh, deal was up, it was right around the time of all in. And that was 2018. It's a completely different landscape. Now it's, 
now you know what's out there to to a deeper extent and you've seen other people leave and some flourish and some not but i'm sure that you know he is someone that has paid attention to all of that that it's going to come down like it's it's very clear he's been open about the fact he wants to have a deal where he can have a relationship with wwe but not an exclusive one and i i i think that uh Vince McMahon has a great deal of respect for for Daniel Bryan. I just cannot, and, and I think that this guy has some real leverage. I don't think they want to lose him. I just cannot see them agreeing to that for anyone, given their entire global expansion plan of going to all these places and having their own satellite companies. You had Nick Khan just talk about this in Mexico. Our goal is not to go and buy one of these existing companies. It's to create our own. So the idea of letting Daniel Bryan go, forget AEW. I don't think that would even be in the question. But even entertaining a CMLL or a New Japan or a NOAA, any of these, I just cannot see WWE uh, pulling the trigger on that kind of a deal. If there's anybody who could make it work, I feel like Brian is in happens to be in a position right now where we would be able to get closest to somebody who might be able to concurrently wrestle within the WWE while also those other companies. I agree with you that AEW, as we've talked about, will probably completely be likely off the table. But I think that's that's all WWE, in my opinion, would probably care about at this point, making sure that AEW does not have one of their megastars joining their show because they are the people that pose, you know, the most direct competition to them. Anything else, like if Brian wants to work in New Japan, as long as it, it is safe and doesn't, you know, collide with like a WrestleMania or something, if I'm WWE, I would let him just get that out of his system. You know, it's like, this is like a long-term relationship where like, you know, the the guy, somebody, somebody, your partner wants a break and you let them explore and hopefully they come back and you have a happy rest of your life together in the future. But um, yeah, I definitely don't see... Yeah, no, it's interesting. We'll see what happens. Uh, so Tony Khan was on Busted Open Radio today and uh, revealed a couple news items. The major one being that they're planning to run Double or Nothing May 30th uh, at Daly's Place at full capacity. Uh, this would include an, a whole weekend where, as we had mentioned, because of the NBA playoffs, Dynamite would be live on the Friday. Then Saturday, they're looking at doing some kind of fan fest. And then Sunday would be the pay-per-view. This comes after the Machine Gun Kelly concert at Daly's Place that was sold out. And, I mean, there is nothing stopping AEW from doing this. And, I mean, we have seen so far the the concert at Daly's Place. We have not heard really of any instances coming out of the UFC 261 event, which was indoors at full capacity. Um, so this is kind of in the, in the middle of well, it's it's identical really to the concert setup with Machine Gun Kelly. But um, do you think like this is the next step to take if you're AEW, or do you think that this is getting a too a bit too far ahead of yourself, even with the vaccination process as it is? It, it's too far for my own personal comfort level. But I mean, in Florida, I really don't know what things are like exactly down there. Um, from the sounds of it, it seems like COVID is just suddenly non-existent. And if you see some of these shows, um, that aren't professional wrestling, it's, you know, it, it, it really does make you wonder. Um, so I, this is going to be met with criticism by some people, but by others, it's like, you know, they probably feel like AEW is, has been waiting enough, um, 
to you know before executing something like this this is the direction everything's going like new york they're getting ready to open up broadway later this year um sports leagues in new york are going to be open to vaccinated fans i mean everything's going this direction and i think you have to rely on what they what data they have from that machine gun kelly concert if that came out and they don't see any any red flags from that, um, that's kind of the data they're probably leaning on. Are, are they contact tracing for these events? Like how would I, they even know? I don't know what is in, in place for this. Yeah, right. Well, I, I, I at least wonder, like, what sort of... There, there is risk there. here. There is absolutely risk here. Um, and that's... Well, take tonight, John. Take tonight, John. Like, how many people attending tonight do you feel like were vaccinated? Um Certainly, like, what seemed to be a mask mandate was not necessarily adhered to, uh, at least from what we saw during the Judas walkout. Um, Social distancing, I even question, too, because, like, JR mentioned that they're socially distanced, but... mm, Yeah, I I couldn't really tell. They'd thrown out the number of around 1,500 were there tonight, so this was their... their, That was their largest since the pandemic. So 5,000 would be double or nothing. Uh, around five to five to fifty five hundred in that range. Okay, Defend, depending on right. like your production kills and everything. Listen, it's um, you know, you are, are definitely going to be um, yeah, met met with some criticism. At, at the same time, it's like all these events are going in this direction. I think WWE is being much more cautious than I would have expected them to be mm-hmm. in in all of this, and I don't know if part of that is. They've invested so much in this Thunderdome technology that they're not – I mean, they're also not in the situation where they'd be in a static location week after week like AEW is. They would – like once they flip the switch, they're touring all over the place again. They're not going to be staying in, in one place for Raw, one place for SmackDown. So it's like once they're ready to go, they have to be completely on board with with returning to live events. So it's a bit of a – heavier undertaking for WWE than it is AEW now as they're just increasing capacity. Uh, New Japan on that front have announced that two wrestlers have tested positive for COVID-19. This comes after uh, several people were removed from the second night of Dontaku. They have not released uh, the names of those involved, but there is the gap now until May 15th when they're running that Yokohama stadium show uh, that still has one match announced. So we are awaiting a card for Yokohama stadium in, uh, 10 days. That's crazy. But, you know, again, these aren't like your typical stadium shows in that they have to fill the entire stadium. You know, at this point, like what what is a crowd? Even 5,000 people is, I think, is what they can put in this. And they are, I do not see them putting anywhere close to 5,000 in the stadium. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you have to wonder what the public. um, It's it's really bad in Japan. Like I was reading today about just how behind they are when it comes to the vaccination process. It is very bad there. Yeah, it's too bad. And if you're a typical person, are you even thinking about going to, you know, watch a wrestling show with 5,000 people knowing that the situation is like that? I mean, what we've learned is that no matter what, 300 people will show up at Core Q&Hall Hall if you put New <laughs> Japan on the marquee. They will get their 300 right. people as they have throughout this whole time period. No matter how many times a week they're running Core q and they'll get their three 350. It's sort of like the green shirt guy. But in Korakuen Hall, like their own version of like the usual performance center crowd. You know what's crazy about that stadium show? I didn't realize the start time of it. So it's, 
I mean, it's May 15th, which is the Saturday, but it's really like the Friday night. It's at midnight on the Friday. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So we'll, we'll have to figure out what we're doing on that night. Um, just on the COVID front, I mean, Tommy Dreamer, did you read about his diagnosis? And No, I did not. Did not yeah, see that. Um, so he just came out today talking about like, um, battling COVID for the past, like three weeks, it sounds like. And he oh, like wow. shared some pretty like nasty details. He caught it on a trip to Alaska to, uh, working for an independent promotion and, um, independent promotion kind of let everybody know, like one of the wrestlers who was there tested positive, but I guess they left it up to the performers and he chose to work the show and uh, ultimately got sick. And he just like detailed some of the symptoms that he's been struggling with. Uh, unfortunately, like pass it on to like his his wife, and yeah, it just it's it sounds really sounded really rough. So we wish him the best, of course. And there's been um you know some like stories like pr- primarily like I'm following of like MMA fighters, but like uh, Hamzat Chimeev like ha- has had a brutal bout uh, with it. Uh, S- Sage Northcutt a- as well. Like there are some really awful um cases of it uh you know involving people that you know we are covering and i think like that's that's a reminder i think that comes every so often of people that have gotten it extremely bad and i think that's worth reminding people that as much as like there's this light at the end of the tunnel for some it's like we're not out of the woods yet and speaking for you and i uh i do not even detect that light yet it is uh, a completely different scenario for us here of how far things are going at yeah we're in better shape than like you know obviously like many parts of the world um and, this and is I, not india india it is just uh, a nightmare yeah I, i've got my shot booked for tomorrow so uh, my first one and you know hopefully the rest of um, toronto will will get there soon but i at least there's some optimism i think but yeah the rest of the like the, we're not going to get out of this thing until the rest of the, the whole world gets out of it so yeah our thoughts with uh, everybody we're not going to double or nothing no, I don't think so. No. Uh, so MLW had their season finale on Wednesday, and there was actually some pretty newsworthy items coming out of it. So for months, they have been so, building. So, so okay, spoiler alert, everybody, in case oh, you, you care. Yes. Uh, we, we definitely need a, uh, a, a rule on, on what the, uh, the, the, the length of time is. So, yes, spoiler warning. Uh, so they have been building up their Azteca underground uh, storyline for months at this point, and we got the big reveal at the end of the show. Uh, last week, Selena De La Renta had been kidnapped and brought to Boyle Heights, put into the office, and there is El Jefe, Dario Cueto, and he's coming to Philadelphia July 10th, as MLW is going to be at the 2300 Arena, and this looks to be, um, you know, Dario Cueto kind of running his his satellite group, Um counter to MLW. And this is like the big angle they have been building for, for months and months uh, towards this reveal tonight. So, I mean, Dario Cueto, um, just a fantastic performer. I think most, um, until like Lucha Underground kind of fell off a cliff by the end where he died. And then it was his father who he was playing brutal, but the early seasons, I mean, this guy was one of the highlights of, of a series that was very popular for those that were following the, I would say the first two to three seasons. So, so are we following Lucha Underground like timeline here, or are we branching off into? into this is Dario Cueto, so he's back to life in MLW. 
Interesting. Okay. He might have been resurrected towards the end, but that is a real blur to me. The end of Lucha Underground is like WCW in the year 2000 for me. You know, a, a very beloved promotion and, uh, you know, throughout the season, throwing those little teasers, I definitely think got people talking. So this is, uh, you know, it's it's going to be news to your typical audience who watches MLW, who probably, you know, probably probably a good cross-section of people watch Lucha Underground as well. Who owns the rights to Lucha Underground? I mean, uh, it's it would still be like factory made, but they're not calling it Lucha Underground. They're calling it Azteca Underground. Are they calling him Dario Cueto? Uh, I don't think they even named him, but I, oh, okay. I'm sure they're going to go by that name. Yeah. Interesting. Like there's obviously like a, a working, um, you know, that they can move ahead with this. So their next shows, they'll be off now uh, until their next show is going to be their live event at the 2300 Arena, July 10th. And then they've got shows uh, September in Dallas and November the 6th at Cicero Stadium in Chicago. And they also did the title change with Myron Reed winning the middleweight title, which was a very good match uh, that, that the two had. And also explaining why Laredo Kid is back to being or was always the AAA Cruiserweight champion. It's a very sordid story, and they tried to make sense of it with uh, showing footage of their match where Leo Rush pounded the mat, and they signified that Laredo Kid took that as a tap, even though the announcers disagreed. It's a very confusing story, but that's why Laredo Kid had the AAA Cruiserweight title on this particular episode, but that was, that was the season finale. So a lot that they have set up for when they return and they're going to do an open draft starting next week, where I guess they're going to be announcing um, maybe some additions to the roster. And the big match that they're setting up is down the road, Jacob Fatu against Alex Hammerstone, where Joseph Semiel is blocking Hammerstone as a challenger. So Hammerstone's one way to get this title shot is winning the, the 40-man Battle Riot, which is their kind of Royal Rumble type of match. So those are the big news items coming out of Wednesday's finale. And uh, ratings notes, uh, I think I'm, I'm just going to leave it to NXT. There's like a lot of ratings notes. They're all up on the site for everybody to check out. But in a nutshell, NXT on Tuesday uh, did 761,000 viewers, uh, but the demo uh, was down to a 0.18. So uh, down... 18% from last week, but also below their four-week average uh, that they have had since moving to Tuesdays. In fact, all of their demos, except for 50-plus, was down from that four-week average. So we are seeing uh, this week uh, kind of a, an episode that, I mean, it did fine. It was 21st on cable, but I, I don't think getting the buzz on Tuesday as we are progressing week by week, even though I thought Tuesday was a very entertaining show. I, I love that Swerve Scott, Leon Ruff match that they had. That was a fantastic, fantastic opener. Great opener. I really enjoyed the main event. You know, all throughout Street the show, fight, I thought it was, yeah. it was a very consistent show and uh, with storylines that I think are shaping up really well. Um, so uh, I'm really enjoying NXT on Tuesdays. It's I'm enjoying it a lot more. And I don't know if that's just the quality of the show or just the fact that we don't have to kind of play this comparison game every single week. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier watching it on, on its own night. It was uh, 
it was just a lot between doing Dynamite, then our show, which would eat up 90 minutes, and then doing that as well. It was uh, th- Those were very lengthy Wednesday nights, so it definitely uh, spreads it out a-, a lot more. But uh, for numbers for Raw, all the A&E programming, uh, we have reports up on the site at postwrestling.com that you can always go and check out. But now it's time for the Blood and Guts edition of Dynamite. I am I am very optimistic on this show doing a very strong number. I I sense not even the day of, I would say on on Tuesday by that point, I sensed a lot of buzz for this show. AEW did a ton of uh, media appearances of the key people and it just seemed it just seemed like th- this match it's been it was teased last year, it's been built up I think really effectively this year and you had that road to on Monday. It just seemed a lot of the pieces came into place. And the other factor that I think is going to enhance this number is if ever there was an episode that is going to grow that 50 plus audience that is going to have the biggest impact on your overall viewership. This is the show you're tuning into with the war games nostalgia of how is AEW going to do war games. So I I think we're going to get a pretty good number um, unless I'm really underestimating the impact uh Cinco de Mayo could have that's really the only factor I could see because this feels to me like this was a really well promoted match well I mean again I don't really know much about Cinco de Mayo but like are people really going out to celebrate that this year or I have no idea I have no idea yeah I guess it depends where you are but I mean it feels very much like a stay-at-home type of thing and um I am very optimistic about this number as well. It, it, I agree with you. Felt like the hype was really good going in. I mean, really, Blood and Guts is something that has been a year in the making. So that in, in, in and of itself is feels like a big deal. Feels like it, it. It is. It might be the biggest match that they've ever promoted on Dynamite. So it it felt like it. Like you've had your, you know, you did your Omega Moxley. Like you've had some big matches, but this one, this one did feel at. You know, that tippy-top level of television matches that they have presented. Yeah. Uh, So Don Callis and Michael Nakazawa are out at the beginning, and Don Callis goes over all the Japanese legends that um, he names alongside Kenny Omega, like Anoki, Baba, Abushi, Okada, and Michael Nakazawa, the Japanese legends. Yeah, still throwing those Abushi references out there. By design, I'm sure. By design. Yeah, we should also note that uh, So this first hour was all taped. That's right. So the people that were there in attendance got to watch these on the big screen, it sounded like, and then and, they got the Blood and Guts match live. Yeah, and I believe their audio was apparently piped in to this tape. tape well, show. The, the, this sounded like a uh, – this first hour sounded red hot. Uh, but it certainly kept up for the live portion in the second hour as well. Mm-hmm. This was a great crowd. So it's um, Callis announcing that Omega could not attend tonight. The announcers call him out as lying. So Nakazawa, he says, will wrestle this one alone against Kingston and Moxley. But it's all a ploy because when Moxley and Kingston come out, Omega jumps them with the belt and the match begins. Nakazawa low blows Kingston uh, behind referee Paul Turner's back and chokes him with his lanyard. Paul Turner sees this. He's okay with the lanyard. Kingston is eating these chops from Omega. Moxley comes in. He stomps down Nakazawa and then hits a pile driver. Omega goes to make the save, but then bails to the floor as it's two on one against Nakazawa and Omega just bails to the back. They hit Nakazawa with a double team lariat into a 
Kingston half and half suplex and Moxley pins Nakazawa in eight minutes. And that is how we kicked off the show. And then we got the run-ins. But the match itself here, it was um, Omega bailing on Nakazawa. And uh, as we'd learn later in the show, uh, as much as they're hinting at something with Moxley and Kingston designed with Omega, it looks like they are going a different direction for double or nothing. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And I, I, I think uh, Kingston and, 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 and Moxley are, are seem more headed into the tag team direction. That's what it felt like. Yeah, which is probably what you're going to get. I I also wonder though. I think Mox and you know either Kingston or Omega and or Mox and Omega again. That's probably something you continue after the fact. But it just seems more like it's a Mox Kingston versus the Elite type of feud, for, or at least for the time being. Um, you know, so M so he's called he goes by MT Nakazawa, and I believe that's supposed to be a parody of QT QT Marshall. Like as just sort of like the hanger on, and I find him really amusing as sort of like the, you know, um, ring young boy gopher. to Kenny, the yeah. gopher to Kenny. But man, they have not done really nearly enough to kind of establish like what, why he's called MT now, and really what the relationship is. But uh, in either case, I mean, it was f- fun, kind of cowardly, you know, Kenny stuff. Got some star power on the show. And uh, just continued teasing the tag tag programs you might get out of Mox and Kingston. Yeah, the Young Bucks came out dressed like Matt was dressed in like this Hawaiian outfit that was Mm -hmm. described as someone's shower curtain. And they distract as the Good Brothers jump Moxley and Kingston, lay them out with the magic killer. And then Matt super kicks Kingston with his bare foot. And then Nick delivers another super kick. Omega returns, Cutler films them as he hits a one-winged angel onto Eddie Kingston and pins him as Nick covers three. I definitely think like we are going to get Omega Kingston at some point. Certainly. We're certainly going to. Yeah, it seems like it's a bit of a longer uh, build. But, you know, for double or nothing, Kingston and Moxley versus the Bucks? I mean, that's what I took from this. Unless they're going to do some kind of swerve, that's what it seems like, is going with uh, the Bucks against Moxley and Kingston, mm-hmm. which you'd probably yeah. have to set up next week, I would think. Mm-hmm. And, and just see the way AEW are throwing out these kind of like uh, title matches for their TV shows. I mean, you know, it's if you have something big for Double or Nothing, that's great, but they have to think about main eventing for all of those several Dynamites as well. And that's maybe where you do Kingston versus Mox. Or sorry, Kingston Omega. Uh, they did announce, this is our first announcement for Double or Nothing, it will be Hikaru Shida and Britt Baker for the Women's Championship. QT Marshall versus Cody Rhodes. Cody immediately attacks him, and the crowd is all chanting for Cody. Bryce takes Cody's weightlifting belt away, but instead QT has his own and starts whipping Cody. And Cody, right in front of the referee, just rakes the eyes of QT and then scratches the back. Going back to like... Hulk Hogan, 1988 here. Back scratching. You have, have you ever had your back scratched violently, John? I, I won't lie. I wouldn't want that. That would be, that would suck. Like if someone hasn't like cut their nails, that's, it's number one, painful. Number two, really gross too. It's, it's yeah. yeah. Yeah, probably. QT, then pie faces Arn on the floor and Arn comes back nailing QT and drives his ear into the post, leading to Arn getting ejected. Uh, and then in, in our one like tip off of this being taped was the sunset flip spot where QT's ass was censored. 
Yeah, they're not that quick with the censoring. Uh, no, they're probably, not that quick. Well, I mean, on a tape show, this is your opportunity to, to show some ass. I, I want to know what the what the standards and practices are. We know that shit is not... That's fu- like I think we had Tony uh, say shit on tonight's broadcast. But an mm-hmm. ass is... That's too far. They probably could have... If it was by accident, would they have been able to show it? Maybe not on cable. But yeah, it's weird. Like, I think our North American standards for, you know, censorship are, are totally strange. So Cody goes for a Cody cutter, but it's stopped, and QT hits his own crossroads. Cody kicks out. The diamond cutter gets countered. QT then needs uh, two tries here before he lifts up Cody for the buckle bomb. And then we get the tombstone counters, a SummerSlam 94 special. And then Cody ends it with his tombstone. Crossroads, QT kicks out. Cody is shocked. He lifts up QT, who gives him the middle finger. And then... Dude, I watched this like the Zapruder film. He grabs the leg of QT and then goes for the figure four. Somewhere between this middle finger, the takedown, and the figure four, Cody busts open his eye and he was just bleeding from this. I'm thinking he clipped it on on QT's like knee brace or something. But I watched this. It's like, I don't know how this happened because during the middle finger spot, he's fine. And then he applies the figure four, and dude, Niagara Falls is coming out of the eye. Yeah, I, I was. I thought I'd missed something, and like I'm not able to rewind on uh, watching uh, on a TSN. So I, I could. I watched I this I multiple just, times. <laughs> I'm glad you did because uh, maybe he, maybe it was the middle finger, you know, or the bare ass. It was just too much. For him it was to take all of that out. was. Like, literally, like, I, I think he had got to have, it had to have been on the takedown, where it was just something caught him. But it was like, man, he got a lot of blood here. And this would not be the show where you would uh, ever want to have uh, excess blood, but this just looked to be an accident. And anyway, you got got quite the visual on Cody here at the end. And then, I love this. <laughs> I'm really starting to enjoy this guy. Anthony Agogo into the ring, body shot. I thought this was so perfect. And then he puts a Union Jack over Cody. Um... I hope this is the match for Double or Nothing. They're going to announce Cody's match next week. This is the only thing that makes sense. And please, give me the Adonis Creed in the tire, preparing for those body shots. Give me that montage. Going out to the desert to train. Uh, I'll take that. Can can we get some Bill Conti in there? In either Cody on the road too, maybe? In maybe Cody's some Ty side, Conti, right? but I don't know about Bill. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, uh... I enjoyed the match, and you know it, it had a very kind of like nice old school feel to it. Dude, For, QT worked really hard in this match. Like his mm-hmm. stuff looked really good. I mean, Cody is Cody, uh, but I was I thought QT looked really good in this match. Yeah, the road two was really great with him as well. Uh, he like did a whole thing like where he was in a psychiatrist's office and. I thought it had some great motivations for this match. So this really felt like it was a blow off for these two, which might feel a bit early because of, you know, like we didn't really even get to pay-per-view with, with these two. But I think it's becoming a lot more apparent that, you know, QT Marshall's kind of like breaking out from the Nightmare family is really more so for people like Anthony Agogo to really kind of treat them as sort of the main acts with QT ultimately kind of fading in a bit more into a managerial role. And that seems like what, what we're going to get here. The main event is going to be Ogogo versus Cody. Alex Marvez is with Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page uh, up in the uh, like the upper level of Daly's place. 
And Scorpio Sky says, riddle me this, who's afraid of the big black bat? And they compare Sting to a mosquito who is sucking the blood out of this company. And what do you do with mosquitoes? You kill them. Listen, Steve, showtime is over. I'm the franchise, bitch. And with that, Ethan Page goes over his history with Darby Allen, but says no one wants to hear about a bunch of matches that they've never seen. God, poor Evolve. I, I mean, I kind of, I kind of do, but he's he is right. He really is right. All those, all those Flow Slam subscribers, they know, they know what's up. He says the reason you wear your face paint is to cover the permanent dent that I put in your forehead. And then also took credit for his elbow being all screwed up uh, from that goddamn shovel spot, which was brutal. Um, check out The Wrestlers, everybody. On Ooh, Crave, yeah. mm-hmm. you can learn all about the history of Darby Allen and Ethan Page, courtesy of narrator and host Damian Abraham. But then Darby jumps them, and he, he has this brawl with them. This was a pretty spectacular brawl. He climbed up this ladder... Uh, and did a coffin drop to Ethan Page on the concrete, and Sky hits him with a garbage can, and then my words were, oh, fuck, because I saw stairs. And you knew where this was going. They forced Darby's face onto the studded shoes of Scorpio Sky, which just seemed really unpleasant, but also not not enough time that the fan at home could realize how uncomfortable and painful this must have been. But it didn't matter, because then they launched this dune this guy down the concrete steps. Oh my God. He's crazy. He's nuts. And this segment I thought was great. Um, I didn't think it was all great. Let me start off with the negative. I thought sky's promo was pretty weak. Starting off with like the, the Batman forever line. Yeah. And I get it. It, Like it's things black bad, but it's just like, I thought it was kind of corny. And then the use of the word bitch. I, I think it's fine if you're starting out, you know, if you're somebody brand new to rely on that sort of crutch. But come on, Sky, Sky could do better than that. It's a main event word, dude. Is it, a, is it really a main event word? Anyway, I thought he was kind of weak. But then we get to Ethan Page, who I thought just killed it. You know, bringing up the history between the two, even if we don't know what the matches look like. Simply knowing that there's this background between the two and what he said about the face paint for Darby Allen. Him using it to hide his scars, I thought I thought was great. And then you get into the physicality, and this all of a sudden went from like just a regular interview to like an action movie where you know it's not just like guys whipping each other into like crates and shit like that. This had like real stunts. All of a sudden it's like Darby Allen jumping off of the scaffold. Then here comes Scorpio Sky with like a big trash bin, like whipping it full force. And of course you end it with the with the fall down the steps. It was very satisfying and quite spectacular. Yeah, this was a pretty, um, pretty violent, uh, spectacular segment here, and uh, it it would seem like we are getting a tag match with this. Um, the only question mark is what is Lance Archer's uh, role in all of this, if any? Would we'll probably Rick, be like, I mean, because yeah, is Sting going to wrestle? Or you know, I think, would it Sting, be more I think Sting's got to wrestle at the pay per view. It seems like that's what he's here for. I mean, if it's going to be a straight up match, it would be a far better match with Archer. But, yeah, you you probably want to promote Sting in some capacity. Britt Baker took on Julia Hart, who's a 19-year-old wrestler out of the the factory. And 
uh, Baker, this was pretty short. It wasn't really enough time to really get any kind of sense of uh, Julia Hart. She has done uh, Dark in the past, though. She gets the glove, air raid crash, pulls up Julia from the canvas, and then applies the lockjaw and wins in 90 seconds. Yeah, really not, not, I mean, not, not, Ju- not the, the purpose of this was not to, to profile Julia Hart in any way. She was just here to kind of play a body to heat yeah. Britt Baker up for that title match next week. And I thought this was a perfectly strong way to heat a contender up before a championship match. They pay-per-view, accomplished. Not next week. Oh, I'm sorry. Pay per view. Um, yeah. How many weeks is that away? How much time? Uh, under four. Under like, four. Okay. Well, still a bit of time, actually. One, two, three. Wow. It's still actually quite a bit of time. Well, either way, I, I, I feel like they accomplished far more in just doing a squash match like this than, say, a match between Burt Baker and another quote-unquote star that ends in, like, you know, a bullshit DQ. Like, it doesn't help anybody, you know? So I, I, I even if it's, like, a two five-minute squash, I'm more than happy to see these. I think they, they work. Then we had the return of Technique by Taz on Christian Cage. And I really enjoyed this. This was a breakdown of Christian Cage with Taz burying this guy. The lack of impact on his frog splash. Two out of his three kill switch attempts failed because of poor footwork. And then he shows Hobbs just overpowering Christian. The honeymoon is over. And this guy has a long way to go before he catches up to Brian Cage and Team Taz. And it looks like we are getting Cage squared. That would be my guess for double or nothing. Squared, yeah, yeah, cool. Varsity Blondes, I, I believe it's um, isn't it um, what's his name? Hook, isn't Hook's birthday or something today? Uh, it might have been. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I saw that. Happy birthday, Hook! Happy birthday. The Varsity Blondes are out, and Brian is wearing his father's trunks, and then Max Caster comes out for his rap. He calls the Varsity Blondes a temporary thing. In 10 years, you'll be on dark side of the ring. Jungle Boy, I'll, I'll slap you like you're John Stossel. Luchasaurus, I'll turn you into a fossil. That was pretty good. It's great. Excellent. And he's going to take the titles off those young cucks. Do you like that one? Um, he didn't rhyme it, did he? It was just like a line. Um, maybe, I don't know. I forget. Nonetheless, this was was good. I like the Stossel Fossil was his high point. Tony Khan hyped this up, and I I really thought it delivered. Uh, I think these verses have been getting more and more, man, obscene, disgusting, and I think it's great. Oh, so what's he, if he gets booked on the pay-per-view, does he, does he have free reign? I would hope so. So it's the four the four team eliminator with uh, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, the Varsity Blondes, the Acclaimed, and Daniels and Kazarian. Uh, they had a commercial in the midst of this, and I thought this one they just had to deal with. Number one, I don't think we needed four teams in this. It just seemed like this one was really condensed, and you had multiple stories going on. You had, you know, Daniels and Kazarian should have been the focus, and to me, they were kind of. You know, they were there for the ending sequence, but I just thought there was a lot going on and a commercial in the middle of it just threw a grenade into all of these stories going on. Um, Luchasaurus got the shine where he chokeslammed Kazarian to the floor. Pillman did a springboard clothesline that looked great. And Jim Ross got in the line that Pillman was flying. 
uh, or Brian was flying, I guess was the line. Uh, Jungle Boy then gets stopped on top by Daniels. There's a flatliner to the floor. Kazarian and Pillman trade strikes, and then Pillman is put in the tombstone position, and they hit the best Meltzer ever for the victory. So next week, it will be Daniels and Kazarian going for the tag titles uh, against the Young Bucks with their career or their career as a tag team on the line. So I hope they do a road to for this to push this one because it requires it. I think that this is this is the peak of this story and unfortunately it's largely played out on dark. We got the opening promo, we got last week and we got this. That's pretty much been your dynamite representation of this story and now we're going to the peak next week. Which I mean, is that opening? That opening promo was like half a year ago. You know how many people even remember it at this point? I mean, we all know the story. But but it is disappointing considering like you know anytime you've done sort of like this sort of retirement uh, story with with uh, Daniels like you need a big you know, promo from Daniels going into this match for me like the whole draw is like seeing this run you know getting invested like the flare run you know before he retired like every man should have meant something because it could have been the last time these two would have teamed together really no drama or emotion at least from my end attached to scu that that'll that might change like for the match with the bucks but i think nobody really expects them to be any sort of real challenger or contender for the championships um and instead i'm looking at next week just as more of a jumping off point for them to carry on some you know whatever storyline they have with daniels and kaz afterwards yeah, I would not go for the feel-good moment of just put the belts on them. I Oh, God, no. I would not do no. that uh, at all. Um, the Bucks are, I think they're really gelling as these heels. It, it wouldn't feel need... that good, John, because I don't think many people care. Um, well, that that's where you're at. I think like that would be your only argument to prolong this uh, with Daniels and Kazarian. I think next week has to be it. That's it. So I wish this had a, a buffer week to at least do that one big promo from Daniels about going into their last match together and why this is so important. I, and you know, you can do that on your social platforms or whatever, but I would have liked to have had one extra week. Uh, then they did a feature for the Yuji Nagata, John Moxley match last week, a great promo from uh, Moxley asking when will Nagata not be able to get back up again? Well, it's coming pretty soon. I was sold. I think this uh, match is going to be fantastic next week. I'm so looking forward to this. I was told from the moment they announced it, and then seeing this video just got me so much more hyped. Uh, you know, it was cool to see a bit of like New Japan video production on an AEW TV yeah, show. Yeah, tons of New Japan footage here. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me something? Like, did, like, I don't know if this was taken from Yuji Nagata's Titan Tron or something, but did it, does it always say, sounds good? Let's do it. Like in big blue font. Did you catch I, that? I didn't, but I, I think that is from, from the Tron. Like, is that a catchphrase or something? Sounds good. <laughs> like, what? What do you want from the man? <laughs> Sounds good. I love it. Great promo from Moxley here. Yeah, hey, do Moxley. You think he, do you think he gets called the Death Rider? It comes up to the Death Rider music? No, I think he'll be... It's a good question. Like, I'm very curious of, like, how... I think he will just be AEW John Moxley, and they're gonna stick to all the the AEW identification. But I mean, is this I, like I joked about it last week? But seriously, is this like New Japan rules when it comes to the countout on the floor? Is like what like it's a United States? This is a New Japan title match. 
very good question. But at the same time, it's like, I think it's more of an American League, National League thing. Like, if you're playing a game in the National League stadium, you, you know, you don't have a designated hitter. All right. Next up, we had, uh, where did we go to here? Tony Schiavone with Kenny Omega. And he comes out, Nakazawa's carrying the Impact, TNA, and AAA titles. Omega carries the main AEW title. And Omega's asking, who's ready for blood and guts? Everyone's cheering. Well, that makes one of us. Tony announces that next week, it will be an eliminator bout between Pac and Orange Cassidy in a rematch from Revolution last year. The winner gets Kenny Omega at double or nothing. Omega Omega basically cut Pac's own promo for him, outlining all the times Pac has won and their history. And... Then goes on to say, why don't we just announce Pac as the number one contender? But then Orange Cassidy walks out and Omega doesn't take him seriously at all. Omega gets what Orange Cassidy means for the company. I see people with their hands in their pockets, dressing up like you for Halloween or for their sock hops. And people want to be like you because they can. They can't be like me. You're not championship material. The only thing championship material about you is what you ripped off from me as he takes off his Ray-Bans and he places them on Nakazawa and says they look better on, on Nakazawa and he's more of a champion than you. And he ends it by saying that we'll see Orange Cassidy in 10 years once you're a fully grown adult and I'll see you whenever. See you in the funnies. See you in the funnies. Yes. Of the, the funny pages. Yeah. Huh. Cool. I, I like Kenny's promo, and I think, like, I mean, Kenny took a lot of time here because he was going up against Orange Cassidy, who doesn't say anything. So it relied on Kenny, you know, like, doing all the talking. And I think your enjoyment of this will d- be dependent on how much you enjoy Kenny Omega doing sort of his, like, over-the-top heel shtick. Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought he had some good lines here. You know, I really like the line about, like, people wanting to dress up like Orange Cassidy because they're so painfully average, they see themselves in this very average man. Whereas he is anything but average. Uh, and taking the glasses, I suppose, is just they need something, you know, to heat this up in a small amount of time. But I think Orange Cassidy is, is it really is leading towards Orange Cassidy. Um, and I think it's the hotter match for a pay per view because it's going to be an exciting match. Uh, Orange Cassidy is a very special type of draw that, you know, just announcing the match on paper will get a lot of people interested. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's an interesting direction because I would say that, you know, for, for for WWE, for instance, I mean, they can really get away with any kind of main event title match. Like, you can really slot in anyone. AEW, it's much more attraction-driven, as we saw mm. with Moxley and Omega. Like, that was the key drawing match on that show that made a difference for their number. And they're going with the idea, I, I'm with you, I think that... They probably go with with Cassidy here, but regardless, this is not one of their big baby faces that they're going with. This is not Moxley. This is not even Kingston that they're going that it tells me they must have something major uh, to kind of support this because this does not feel like the match that would close the show, even though uh, Omega Cassidy will be, I think, a, a spectacular, spectacular match. I think so too. I think it's probably not going to be, you know, a main event or anything like that, but a really kind of nice special attraction. And we'll assume that they'll have a lot of time. 
So then Miro is out for the next interview segment. They note that Kip Sabian is going under the knife. Miro says no one will distract his destiny. The problem is here to collect, and he has a signed contract for next week's episode, a TNT championship match with Darby Allen. And there is no avoiding this, regardless of whether he's healthy or not. They explain that if Darby cannot defend the title next week, he forfeits the title. These AEW matchmakers, what assholes. Guys defended the title like four times. He fell downstairs. Come on. Man. But then the line from Miro, next week we'll find out what happens when the man who doesn't mind dying meets the man who doesn't mind killing him. Great line. Great line. Really, really strong. I think Miro might be winning this next week. You think so, eh? I mean, they've really set the table for Darby. Like, Darby needs to be crippled next week as he goes into this match. To have Darby somehow beat Miro, I, yeah, that might actually be a bit tougher to see because I think Miro has been so strong and so hot. But at the same time, Darby's been incredibly hot. Do you want to end this run right away or at, at this moment? Like, have you accomplished all you, all you have with Darby Allen's TNT title run? It's an interesting question. If you think that Darby is at a level where does does the title bring him losing the title, bring him down a peg, or is he at a level now that he can sustain this loss, but he's already a made guy in AEW. And is Miro the type of champion you, you would expect to have on a, in a TNT title defense week to week on the show? I'll say this, that I don't, unless they're like, they don't try to rely too much on screwy finishes. I, I would not be beating Miro now after you're finally giving him this serious run and Mm. the angle, it kind of does telegraph things for a change next week for, for Darby. Yeah. So next week uh, we've got three title matches altogether. So it's Darby Allen and Miro, John Moxley versus Yuji Nagata for the IWGP US title, the young bucks against SCU for the tag titles, orange Cassidy against pack and then an interview with Jade Cargill and Cody Rhodes making his announcement for Double or Nothing. This is a stacked episode next week. This looks incredible. Very much so. I mean, you know, Cassidy and Pack, that was amazing last last year. I think like we're so used to maybe, you know, big additions of these kind of pay-per-view level TV shows occurring and then maybe having a come down episode right afterwards with things that, you know, might still be important but not as much. Next week feels very very kind of like a small notch away from this week it it feels like a really big show this one had the, the more the bigger promotion the bigger buzz but the depth on next week's show to me is is greater mm-hmm. i mean this this yeah. is really surrounding like one big match uh this week but this is a tremendous lineup i mean do you think it's a conscious effort by AEW to try to like use this period of unopposed weeks to really establish that like you know above above 1 million consistent level rating i i think like the million is it's a it's a nice number to look at i think they're far more concerned with how high they figure they they finish with, with, with the demo figure every week and an amazing stat that um dave Meltzer had that he just noted the other day was last week when the number was down going against uh joe biden's speech to congress it was something like their final viewership like that number that we got last week was like of their total viewers was that number. So they did an unbelievable amount of DVR viewership last week. Wow. Okay. So that's interesting. 
Justin Roberts proclaims it is time for blood and guts. And this was essentially the last 45 minutes of the episode. And this crowd, it was deafening. It was unbelievable to hear this, this noise as the teams came out. It was at a fever pitch. You had the pinnacle coming out and they were all decked out in white, which was just screaming bloodbath to come. And then the inner circle come out and this place is just belting out Judas. They're all dressed as prison inmates representing. Yeah. With their own hometowns, prisons listed on the back. That I guarantee was a Jericho idea. It was very much like the football uniforms last year for Stadium Stampede. I thought a really cool look. Ortiz and Santana went to the Dead President's look. Mm-hmm. Santana looking like the greatest character on television. Just awesome. I just thought, man, this was – the atmosphere was through the roof. It was amazing. Definitely. What did you think about the cage itself? Slightly updated different you know, cage here. We, I mean, yeah, it, we it, had like the, the two rings, the roof. Mm-hmm. Um What'd you reinforce think? reinforce with scaff- scaffolding so you know a very sturdy type of roof um bit of extra space on the aprons at the ends for the wrestlers and cameramen to work entrances on either side i think it looks great like it, it looks it looks faithful to the original concept but like updated to a modern standard so yeah how did you think they they got around like, like shooting it like it looked like to me so- um yeah there were i think for the most part it was fine i i did find it odd that like they didn't have Throughout the rest of the show, have that, that they didn't have hard cameras on either side of the ring, so like it, it, mm. it was sort of an awkward kind of like slanted angle for most of the the evening. But for this match, it made sense. Uh, you know, there are certainly going criticisms about like some close ups and maybe the production of certain spots. You know, in particular the closing spot that maybe could have been better in hindsight. But for the most part, for a first go, um, I would expect that they're pro- probably quite happy. So Sammy Guevara started with Dax Harwood, and they said it was going to be a five-minute period. Uh, The first one ended up being four minutes, and there was huge heat. Everyone's chanting for Sammy, and Dax gets busted open in these opening minutes, and holy Christ, this was a gusher that this guy had uh, for pretty much 40 minutes. Um, Like, immediately they got to this, and Sammy hit this double springboard cutter right at the end. I know he had the one slip, but my God, Sammy Guevara was phenomenal in this match. Like, I know the match was built around MJF for the end, but to me, the star of this match in many ways was Sammy Guevara, who did some breathtaking spots and I thought just shined. And this is the guy who hasn't had a match since February. I totally agree with you. I thought he really kind of like stole the spotlight and, you know, I mean, despite the one slip up, I I actually think the slip worked. Like, Shivani was right on top of it, saying Mm -hmm. he's got the effects of the chair shot. They were right on top of it. That was one of the... You and I always bring up that point that those can work. You can Mm -hmm. easily just turn that into the story. You do not have to, um, you know, look at that as, like, some uh, negative uh, in all of this. And I I didn't take it in this. You know, in this match, I think we look towards a few people getting, you know, their big kind of establishing moments. And I would say Sammy, for being away for so long, was one of those names... I think Santana coming off of like the the fantastic promo work he's done from the last few weeks uh, with somebody as well, and also Sean Spears. Um, and I thought all three like came in with like pretty big presence. Yeah, so Spears is in third. He brought the chair. He was followed by Ortiz. Uh, the entrances were kind of like all over the place at, at different parts. It was like in the vicinity of 
90 second, <clears throat> 90 seconds to two minutes. Then we had uh, all the chair spots here. Guevara and Spears meet on the top rope. And there's a chair thrown to Spears' back that prompts him to jump onto the rope with Guevara, who hits uh, one-man Spanish fly. And that's when Guevara goes for the double springboard and slips. And Shivani just instantly covers for it, citing the chair shots from Spears. That double jump Spanish fly from Spears and Unbelievable. Guevara, to me, was the spot of the match. Like, the fact that they were able to hit that so flawlessly based off of, like, the... Everything it was so like intricate with, and so many things could have gone wrong with the 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 throwing of the chair into the jump into the Spanish fly. The fact that they executed that so perfectly, I forgive any sort of like screw up that they might have had after this. It was spectacular. Cash Wheeler is in fifth, followed by Santana, and they finally go to a break about ten minutes into the match. And during the picture in picture, that's when Wardlow enters. How did you think they balanced? Because I think it was three commercial breaks built into the match. I don't really know if like they are communicating even all that much with the participants as they're going to these commercial breaks because it really felt like they were just going through with like major beats in the match mm. throughout these commercials. And um, I think if they could have planned this a little bit better, I probably would have had, you know, it's impossible though. If you're going to stick to like the two minute rule, then you're going to have somebody enter, you know, mid commercial break. And yeah. I, I, the question is whether or not it should have been Wardlow or, you know, you should have like taken a break with somebody else. But I, either way, maybe, you know, they, they couldn't have really worked around it. And I think it's actually more realistic to, for them to just continue as if like, you know, they weren't going to commercial. I'll say after it was either the second or the third break. And I thought it was like, man, like this thing's just building and building. And then it's like you have this like come down during the break. But I've got to say the heat from this crowd, it lifted you back up pretty quick when they came back. I thought they Mm -hmm. had like that in their back pocket that in a normal Daily's Place setting that we've been watching or if it had been empty, I think that would have really harmed the momentum of the match. But they Mm -hmm. like this crowd was super hot and they were a big assist throughout this throughout this match. I'm really curious about the philosophy of, you know, them doing picture in picture. And we see that they continue to do picture in picture, you know, despite both NXT and AEW still continue to do picture in picture, despite not having, you know, competition. Uh, But like with AEW for when they started doing it, they would do a lot of like big moments in the commercial breaks. Then they kind of stopped and they would just kind of like have, you know, your typical, okay, you know, uh, heel gets gets the advantage so the commercial break and you come back you didn't really miss anything in this particular match you would have missed a whole lot if you really weren't paying attention to the commercials they sort of taken apart the ring here yeah you come uh, back and the whole ring's been cut up yeah um yeah so uh they come back and and hager is here and he he's got the ankle lock on spears uh who taps but they explain that it cannot end till all members are in the ring So we have the big uh, stare down between Hager and Wardlow as they meet. MJF is in ninth and uh, MJF is just posing to all these boos. He warns Jericho. He's a dead man when he enters. And then we just cut to Cash Wheeler who is busted wide open. And I don't know what happened to him. Something, you know, grazed the cage and any excuse... Any excuse to, you know, cut yourself in this match, I I think you were going to see. 
Jericho is the last entrant, and now it is submit or surrender. And we have the two sides square off from each side, and they attack. Jericho's got the bat. Spears' head is put through a lighting truss. And that's when we go to another picture-in-picture. We come back. The canvas is torn up, revealing the wood underneath. Uh, Spike pile driver to FTR. The top rope is taken down. Then Spears is put in a tree of woe. The chair is placed in front of him, and Sammy hits a coast-to-coast dropkick. MJF is held while bleeding, and he gets uh, hit with a fork by Santana. And then Sammy Guevara blasts Wardlow with a chair shot to the head. Like, it w- it wasn't even protected, right? It was just oh, like- dude, this, this looked clean. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did not look good. Final break, and we come back. MJF has now climbed on top of the roof. They explain that he got the key from Bryce Remsburg. Jericho follows him. This was also during the commercial. Yeah, this was during the commercial. It was totally, I guess, knocking Bryce Remsburg to the ground and then opening the cage door. So if you weren't squinting to watch the commercial, you would have missed. Which I don't think you can expect your audience to be paying that close attention to. But, I mean, at least the announcers did update you on why they have left the cage. They mm-hmm. like that would have been a big hole not to have uh you know filled. MJF is begging off, the walls is applied, and then a low blow is hit by MJF and he applies the salt of the earth. Jericho will not submit. MJF attacks the arm, he bites it, he reapplies the salt of the earth and then again lets go and he reveals he's got the dynamite diamond ring. Punching Jericho in the forehead, causing him to bleed, and then MJF eyes the floor, and Shivani calls him this piece of shit. What's he going to do? And he teases, throwing him off the cage unless the inner circle surrenders, and he's got this maniacal look with the blood coming down his face, and the inner circle surrenders. And then it just seemed like there was some kind of, like they were... The timing just seemed to be off, and it was like they wanted to... I don't know if they wanted to get the perfect shot, if this was too early, because there was definitely a lot of time left in the show. They had like four or five minutes left, and it just felt like instead of just going to the big spot for the dramatic fall, it was like we set everything in place, and you knew what was happening. You saw the floor where it was set up with the gimmick landing, and then you did the big plunge, which... I mean, in highlight form will look great, but mm-hmm. I think in the moment it was just I, – I just think the timing was a little off. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it would otherwise be something relatively small, but because this was like the culminating scene in the entire match and story, I, I think it deserves maybe a bit more focusing and a bit more criticism. Uh, you know, this is also like uh, sort of the, one of the unfortunate parts where the camera was really zoomed in right on Jericho as he was communicating to Max you know, while he was supposed to have been knocked out with that diamond ring. So, that, you know, that was another kind of unfortunate part. I don't really know what happened here. Maybe we'll hear, like, Jericho kind of, you know, explain it. Um, it but it didn't. It either went exactly to plan and somehow was not captured um, the way maybe they had it in their heads, or it was poorly executed because they were waiting on something. But, you know, there were a few issues in that, I think everybody expected the fall. You could see the crash pad, and that certainly took a level of drama away from it. Uh, and by the time they did it, it 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 didn't feel like it was shocking, nor really, I think, all that 
mm, big of a spot. But when you really think about it, it really is. I mean, especially considering that this is 50-year-old Chris Jericho taking a bump like this. And I they, can't they, really... The thing was, Way, they had the moment. Like, as soon mm. as the inner circle surrenders, if he had just all of a sudden, boom, low blow shoves him out of nowhere, you've got that that moment. Like, they had it, and it was just they just sat on it a little too long before the viewer could put all the pieces together and saw what to expect. Um mm. I wasn't too like I understand like the timing it was it was it was off. Um, to me though, like th- this to me was night and day compared to the the exploding death match. Completely. And, and, and the other thing is, if it's a matter of safety that they had to make sure that everything was in place for, then I right. absolutely completely understand. Safety comes first, number one. You know, for I don't give a shit about any sort of drama. Like if you're absolutely. talking about a man taking a fifty year old man taking that that sort of bump, like clean it up in editing who gives a shit right as long as it was safe and it looked like it was perfectly safe and i'm really happy about that wrestling should be like this shouldn't like you shouldn't be risking life like you know to a crazy extent um the fact that there was a crash pad is not such a bad thing at all i wish they had it on the steps for darby earlier sure it's maybe more so like you know how well were they able to hide it i can't really say it was pretty it was unfortunately pretty obvious like this kind of giant box out of nowhere but you know, for a first War Games match, everything like leading up to the stunt, I thought was tremendous. I thought it built up really well. The intensity was really strong. The heat uh, was it, great from the crowd. Like this, man. like yeah. You know, the next I, I said that the night after the pay per view or the night of the pay per view with the exploding barbed wire death match. Like, you know, I'm not saying you can never do another one of those again, but it's going to take a lot to build up to do that kind of match again after the feeling people had of the last one. The next time you announce Blood and Guts, it's going to be treated like a big deal. It will be like when WWE introduced Hell in a Cell. I think they've introduced a new gimmick match that they... It was enough of a detour from War Games that AEW had its own unique flavor to it. It was violent as promised. The heat was through the roof. That next time you do this, it's going to feel like... Like they got the concept over to me in in this, this first AEW iteration. And I think, you know, uh, going into this match, there was maybe a lot of concern about why this match was happening right now at the start of this feud when, you know, you would expect it to to take take place at the end. Um, So with Jericho being out, I mean, this is sort of like the beginning of Act 2, right? You know, how does the inner circle cope with not having their leader? How can they kind of manage to, you know, come back without them? um to to face the pinnacle we might see you know a period now where the pinnacle are just the completely the most dominant group in AEW um and you know the the story is about you know the comeback of of the inner circle from this point i think it all really works well and in fact i think this war games match or sorry this uh, blend guts match might have worked out better having these two very kind of like heel leaning stables r- together rather than you know initially planned with the inner circle and um the elite because I think having two more heelish stables kind of promotes a greater level of sadism and violence, which you got to see in this match. It made sense why, like, you know, Santana was out there using the fork, even though he is technically the babyface team. You wouldn't have really had that with the elite. So I, I, I think the, the violence of the match, you know, benefited from that. Yeah, I think Jericho needs to disappear for a while because, like, the story kind of requires it. Like, I think his absence should be, like, the... The inner circle is broken now. The leader's gone. Yeah, that's it. So they're like more of a a you. Man, the the inner you. They have to find the inner, <laughs> the inner you. you. Man, <laughs> that sounds it. like an Alan Watts speech. 
Uh, so there you go. That was uh, that was blood and guts. Um, I-, I thought overall, like this was a this is a pretty entertaining show, and I, th- I think overall, like the the concept delivered, and this was a super heated match, and I think an example of you build something up, you do great promos. There can be a great payoff at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that's that's what you got. Great match, and I think great promo leading up to it. So, uh, yeah, great job. I was very entertained. At this point, let's uh, let's see what the forum had to say about this uh, with the rating, and then we will open up the phone lines if you would like to uh, discuss. Um, we have got, out of a 10, tonight's show gets a 6.94. A little lower. Interesting. Yeah, okay. lower on AEW standards. Wow. Well, uh, I'm very curious to, to hear what people have to say about it. And let's start off here with Kevin. Kevin, are you there? Yes, I am. Way hello. Uh, hey, John. Hello. Uh, first of all, uh, woke up today, Cinco de Mayo here in the U.S. I guess everywhere, but um, probably more celebrated in the U.S. than than in Mexico, ironically. But anyway, uh, blood and guts tonight. But in my mailbox today, I get a a, a postcard from Canada from John and Wayne. It's signed by both of you guys. So thank you very much for that. Uh, all page, not all patrons. This is the uh, double double tier, correct? That is correct. Double, double ice cap and espresso. Yeah. Uh, I've been sending those out and uh, thank you for letting me know that you received yours. Yeah. What a cool perk. It was uh, very nice. Never got a postcard in my life until now. Anyway, uh, talking about the show tonight. um, I was kind of frustrated watching that main event just because of all the commercials and how obvious it was that Jericho was talking to Aubrey. Um, I mean, obviously I know they're, they're timing everything, but it just, I don't know. As soon as Jericho got into the match, things kind of felt flat for me. He got in kind of slowly. I saw him chit-chatting with Aubrey a lot. It just kind of took me out of things, and the commercials uh, added to that. Um, but overall, I, I I liked the match. I you know they, there were so many amazing things in there. It was very entertaining. I like that the Pinnacle won because uh, the feud can continue. I like that Jericho is going to go away for a while. Um, I just agree with what John said about the finish. If if MJF pushed Jericho off right away. I think that would have been so much better because I was kind of thinking like, how come no one in the inner circle is like climbing the cage or like trying to help Jericho? It just seemed like they were all standing around saying, no, no. Um, I want to leave you guys with a, a question and, and John, no cop outs on this one. I want you to answer too. What's your guys prediction for the rating tomorrow. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, I think we already gave ours the other day. I mean, I, I said like one, two to one, three, but I'm, I'm on like the higher end of that. Um, I, I'm still in that range, I guess. Yeah, I'm going to adjust. I'm going to say uh, their highest has been what? 1.3? Like they did over 1.4 for the, debut? For, the, for the debut. The debut and then two weeks ago, three weeks ago was how much? 1.2. Two? Okay. I'm going to say this will be higher than that. I'm going to say 1.3. Let's go up next to Nick. Nick, are you there? I am. What's going on, guys? Hey, Nick, how you doing? Happy Wednesday. I also got my post-wrestling postcard in the mail today. What a coincidence. Oh, I really that. appreciate Nailed that. Um, I loved tonight. And there's that line in the AW Dynamite theme song where it talks about like turning Wednesdays into Fridays. And tonight definitely felt like a Friday. Some big Friday night violence uh, in our lives tonight. And I think the thing I appreciated the most about tonight was that when you watch the... I still love the NXT War Games matches that we've been getting for the past few years. But those definitely still feel like, you know, wrestling matches with the war games element. This felt like a like down and dirty fight with wrestling elements in there. 
And I agree. I totally agree with you guys. I think Sammy Guevara for me was the star of this match. I think he's someone who's had like a pretty tumultuous couple of months. And if you're going to build him up as a baby face, this was the way to do it. Have him be like, you know, sort of the, the iron man of this match. And I think a big element going forward for the inner circle could be like seeing Sammy Guevara step up as that, like their new leader of that group and get him over as a, as a big baby face. And I think that's definitely something that they should pursue coming out of this. Very interesting. That would be quite the elevation. Uh, you know, Nick, you mentioned like the, some comparisons to, you know, the NXT war games, how much of a, how much of a factor did uh, blood, you know, play into the intensity of, of this one? I thought it was, I thought, I, I thought it was a welcome addition. Honestly, I didn't feel like it was blood for the sake of blood. I thought, you know, for the fact that when the, the one that really got to me was the cutaway, you guys mentioned it, the cutaway to um, cash. And all of a sudden he's just, his face was just totally, you know, he had the crimson mask. And I think there's an element to these matches where sometimes they can feel a little pre-programmed. And I think some, sometimes the NXT matches feel that way. This felt like there was violence all over the double ring. And sometimes like when it's just that hectic and it feels like that much of a fight, sometimes you miss things. And if the camera can like train in on those moments and be like, oh, wow, like when did this happen? Did I miss that? Maybe I have to rewatch this maybe, but like, the fact is, like, you know that this was a, a fight for all of these guys in it. I was sad that we missed some moments in the picture-in-picture, picture, like the moment when Wardlow came in was picture-in-picture, and he's essentially taking on, like, all three of the guys. Um, I thought it was, like, sad that some of those moments got missed. And there was a moment where, like, I turned my head and I came back from the picture-in-picture picture and Jericho and MJF were on the top of the cage. I was like, whoa, how did I get up there? But I think I think the ultra-violence of this really worked just to, like, juxtapose it from... The, the war games in NXT that we get every year. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate the call. Let's go to Brian up next. Brian, are you there? I am here. Uh, happy Wednesday, guys. And, happy Wednesday. Uh, yeah, glad you opened up this uh, call for all patrons this week. And uh, I also do enjoy the two previously Wednesday night war shows being on separate nights. It's been mm-hmm. so much easier. And, uh, yeah, and this has been, uh, this has been a good, easy dynamite to watch uh, as violent as it got. I really enjoy these clash of the champions style shows that they put on. And, um, even before the, uh, blood and guts, uh, I really enjoyed all the promos throughout the show from the likes of Ethan page and Miro and Moxley Nagata and Kenny Omega. And even mask casters raps have become a guilty pleasure for me. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and the match itself I thought delivered quite well. Uh, production stuff aside, I love the ending. Uh, MGF using great heel genius work to get the win and continue this feud. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I got in regards to that. And I imagine the feud between the two factions might be ending with a Jericho MGF singles match. Uh, yeah, but, I, I think that would be your call. Your culmination would be, you know, when Jericho comes back. I mean, that could be the match you go to. But I, I do think you should have MJF kind of running roughshod for the time being. And like to yep. Way's point, I think you can do a lot. You could even do like the inner circle, like at odds with one another, like Sammy being the one that they kind of centered on was the one to surrender for on behalf of the team. Like there, there's a lot of interesting avenues you can take out of tonight's match and go in all these different directions. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Looking forward to uh, your recapping of Dark Side of the Ring this season as that starts tomorrow night. Thanks, Brian. Wow. 
Thank you, Brian. Yeah, two-hour debut tomorrow, man. So Thursdays, all of a sudden, are, are going to get a little bit busier with uh. You did know, did you watch the first half yet? Not yet. Gonna... I'm gonna watch everything at once. Yeah, uh, and I guess they got a bit of a free promotion tonight, courtesy That's of the right. caster. Yeah. yeah, they did. Boy, did like sorry, Brian just brought brought it up like man, MJF looked amazing with that blood. Oh, the visual at the end on top of the cage, like that will be an that will be a lasting image for MJF. Soon, like every shot in the start of the dynamite opening is going to be one of the people bloody. (laughs) Britt Baker, MJF, Dustin Rhodes. Yeah. Uh, Let's go to Hansi up next. Hansi, are you there? Hansi, are you there? No, he lost his voice. No, no, no. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Sorry. Sorry about that. Hey, no worries. Um, yeah, no, listen, uh, I, I enjoyed like the entire episode. I, I thought it, it was a, a pretty good, I think it delivered for the most part. Like I, I like the brutality and I know that cause again, the only comparison you have to recent memory are the NXT war games matches. I still think the, the second war games match with like all of the under, cause the first, under, the first war games in NXT was like a triple threat and that was kind of weird already. But the second one, I thought like the one with all the undisputed era members, against uh, like the war raiders and pete dunn and ricochet that one was probably my favorite one because it had like a, those feuds there going on and it had like the brutality but i it, it was a weird thing because again they, they had the surrender element to it and I, I i like what they did with the surrender element but again like just i think it would have been perfect if it just it wasn't shot the way it was shot because now like you know shotsy blackheart and all of them are having fun at the expense of the ending and it's causing like you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of turf wars with like NXT and AEW and shit. But like, I don't know. I, I just thought like the, the ending was kind of a letdown. But I agree with what you're saying, Way, but like this is what wrestling should be in the city. It should be a safe thing because, you know, the more danger it is, like you might like end, end up getting seriously injured. Like I, I don't disagree with that. I just thought other than the shot, it would have been a perfect thing for me. But, you know, I, I turned around on like the ending in a sense that, I thought it should have ended with like like someone passing out or something like that, but I guess they're gonna just add elements to it. And uh, before I go, I just want to say that um, I don't expect uh, Orange Cassidy to win the title, but I think this is a if you're gonna have fans back, I think he's over enough. And I think that if you know he he proved himself against Jericho, but if you have him against Omega and you have him have a good performance against him. Even though, you know, Omega's probably going to win, obviously, probably, who knows. But the thing is, it'll probably elevate, it'll probably make Orange Cassidy come off better, even if he loses, in my personal opinion. And I think, even though Pac and Omega will probably be the better match, I think, you know, for our first of uh, with fan with a lot of fans back, I think uh, Orange Cassidy is the way to go for that, because he's like, you know, what, one of the more overstars. And it took me a while to get into him, by the way. I'm, I'm going to say that. But I finally kind of went on board with his Jericho feud and all that. And I'll leave you with that. Thank you. Oh, there's, there's a lot you could do, especially, you know, just him, him doing like one actual line just on that go home pay-per-view and, or go home dynamite. And man, just the idea of 5,000 people at Daly's place when the Pixies hit, I mean, that kind of just, uh, that would be an unbelievable scene. And maybe the hope is that he draws a pay-per-view number that, offsets the uh the rights for the song uh we didn't hear it at all tonight no they should save it they should if they're, if he's gonna do this at the pay-per-view you shouldn't play that song for for the month make people crave it for may 30th 
Sorry, Chris Statlander. But, but he, he has to come out to something next week, so they might have to play it next week. They should just play like the like the Kim Deal. <laughs> anyway. Or you know what? He comes out to it next week and then Pac jumps him from behind and they cut the music off. So you don't even Perfect. get the entrance. That's Perfect. it. That's how the match starts. Uh do we have more calls? Uh no. Oh, we do. Okay. Uh, well, let's go to Joe from H Town. Joe, are you there? What's up, guys? Hi, Joe. Hey. Is, first... is, is it H Town as in Houston? That's correct. Okay. What's up? My my first Zoom. This feels weird. I, I don't know what I'm doing here, but uh, what do I, I don't know what to, it. I don't know what to do with my hands here. But uh, uh, oh, I, listen, I can't man. even see you. <laughs> uh, oh, do you want to see me? Let's see. Here. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. okay. Uh, what a way to begin four nights of fights, man. I mean, that's the way I saw this tonight. Uh, tomorrow we got, uh, PFL then Bellator and UFC. So, uh, pretty good stretch here for, uh, fight fans. Um, I just felt like this was a pay-per-view. I mean, that's the way, the way it felt to me going in, you know, I'll be honest, Dynamite's the only show I watch like live, like mm-hmm. out of all TV. So, oh, wow. I, I, yeah, so I was really excited to. And I got home at seven o'clock on the dot to watch it, so uh, that was pretty awesome. But I enjoyed the show. Um, you know what? A, what a crazy, um, you know, blood and guts. Sammy Guevara, man. The first time I saw this guy in Austin, Texas, at a at a, a wrestle circus show, I knew this guy was going to be the guy. Right. And he yeah. hasn't even he hasn't even hit his uh his run yet. I mean, this guy is going to be a superstar. Santana, you know, the promo he cut last week about being in prison. I mean, that that's that's just that guy's going to be a big star too. So. uh you know, I, I I see these um factions against factions, but I can't wait till we see these singles um guys star. But uh great show, you know. Um I don't I don't know what else to say. I mean, great show. Well thanks a lot for the for the call, Joe. Thanks thanks for calling in and uh on your first Zoom. You did great. Uh thanks a lot, man. I'll see you guys. All right, thanks. Thank Joe. you, Joe. You know, like we have a lot of heel factions, I suppose, right now with the Pinnacle and we have the Elite. You know, who are the baby face factions you can see? If you're going to like maybe cool off the inner circle thing for a while and put the Pinnacle with somebody else, who do you, who would you say, John, that they could pair them with? I mean, I think it's just going to be a mixture of not necessarily um, like uh, groups, but more so like baby faces that they're going to end up uh pairing off with I, I think you're still going to see the the members linked to the inner circle members for the time being and then you can um like i'm, I'm not necessarily advocating for more groups in in yeah. aw I, I think we're good brian in the chat says dark order i mean potential possibility uh let's go to wow a rare wednesday appearance here from steppy tay steppy tay are you there uh, hey boys Hi, Steppy Tay. Hey, Steppy Tay. Hey there, guys. Um, uh, hi. Happy to uh, join you on a hump day. And, um, yeah, I quite uh, liked tonight's presentation. Um, in a scale of five bags, uh, definitely an easy five bagger for me. Uh, probably five garbage bags of the personal possessions of one Mickey James. Um, or, or possibly five bags of blood. Because it, it was a kind of a gory gusher there at the end. Um, I felt swerved a couple times tonight. Miro uh, having a contract to challenge for the TNT title. Uh, also, Cassidy versus Pac. Because last I knew, Page, uh, like Hangman Page was the number one contender. He got uh, he lost. 
like Cage for sure. Um, and uh, it would seem that Cage is is headed towards Christian Cage. Um, what do you guys see for Hangman Page for the next pay per view? That one seems unclear as of now. Yeah, it's a good question. He's kind of your odd man out in this current mix. Um, oh man, well, well, where do you could, see could the inter- get- Maybe we could get Cage, Cage, and Page. Maybe. Oh man, they could go wild with that. I wouldn't even mind that. Yeah. Um. I. Who's to say you even have to have Page on this pay per view? You know, like True. they have yeah. enough on the show. Um. But. I definitely think it'd probably something be something associated with the Dark Order. Um, yeah, like what do you what do you guys see with the inner like with the pinnacle and, and MJF? You know, like if Jericho is going to be out and not be there for double or nothing, like can they make a compelling enough? You know, I don't know for some some sort of variation of, of a match between the pinner, pinnacle and inner circle, or do you break off into something like a Dark Order feud with Paige and MJF? I would still imagine, <clears throat> like, there's uh, roughly three or four weeks until the pay-per-view. I would think, wouldn't they still aim for Jericho versus MJF? And then there could be matches on there or on Dynamite hitting sort of like the guy from the pinnacle from the guy with uh, the inner circle. Yeah, I suppose four weeks would be ample time to like heal from like a fall from a cage. But I, I, I guess in my mind, I just I feel like he he'd be gone for quite a while longer. But yeah, maybe four weeks is enough. Thank you for the call, Stepite. Much appreciated on a Wednesday. Um, I'm I'm just sorry. I'm just looking at these uh, AEW rankings here, and man, poor like Page. Like one loss sends you all the way down to number five. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they they have your pack and Cassidy. They're they're undefeated. They're undefeated. Yep. Uh, whereas Moxley is six and one, and Brian Cage is five and one. And I guess because he holds a win over Page, he ranks above Page. But all right, uh, let's go to the forum. All right, let's. Uh, we'll get through some of the. There's a lot here of uh, feedback from people that watch Dynamite tonight. We start off with Johnny. I usually give the QT Cody storyline a chance, but this match highlights mine and my friend's biggest gripe with AEW. They tout not doing DQs, and I'm glad about that, but then they do stuff like QT using the belt in front of the ref after the ref threatened to DQ Cody if he used his. Then Arn punches QT in front of the ref. I get not doing DQs so there are actual finishes, but then don't do this stuff that discredits your ref and insults your audience. I think that's a fair point. Maybe that just kind of like demands some sort of explanation from the commentators because certainly people in the audience are going to be asking these types of questions. But in my mind, I feel like it's explained because it's like these aren't necessarily infractions that will cause a finish. They are annoyances. They are, you know, certainly frowned upon. But like whipping somebody with a belt, like it's not going to lead to the finish, right? It's unsportsmanlike and maybe that's what he was trying to, you know, restrict Rather than like somebody, well, Arn did punch him, didn't he? Arn just decked him. Yeah. yeah, maybe no real explanation for that. So you're right. Jackie from Orlando says, I haven't watched it in a few weeks, but this episode got me to catch up and tune in. This was a one match show, and for the most part, I feel the Blood and Guts match was 
was a lot of meandering around and punching. My favorite spot was a Spanish fly with Sammy and Spears. I think I would have overall been more affected by the match if we didn't get blood on Dynamite with the frequency that we do. On a positive side, I do think the match accomplished many things in writing Jericho off and elevating MJF to superhero status. I imagine he, t- he takes the AEW title off of whoever eventually beats Omega. Trent writes, uh, I was at the show live tonight. I'm fully vaccinated and had five days off work, so I drove about 900 miles from Houston to Jacksonville for the show. All of the matches for hour one were pre-taped and aired off the screen to the crowd for the live, sh- the live audience. The Darby segment was the only thing live during the whole first hour. Tony Khan announced this to the live crowd five minutes before the show started and offered refunds or being able to come back next week for just $20. Neither does me much good, but hey, the main event was incredible. Judas was like a religious experience. Daly's Place was a great venue, and there are literally no bad seats in the building. Would love to come back for another show someday. I guess I didn't realize that they didn't announce to the crowd that this would be what it was until five minutes prior um, I think it was made clear like for like this was known like a week ago. And my understanding is that those that bought tickets, it was it was like known to ticket buyers. But I mean, maybe in his case, it, it was it was not as clear. Like, it, I mean, when they announced that this would be a one match show, was this what they meant? That the live? I guess it is like when Tony Schiavone did that initial promotion on TV was a one match event. I guess this is kind of what they meant, even though it wasn't going to be a one-match television presentation. Yeah, and, and probably goes without saying, but I mean, the likely reason why they did all this was because of the ring setup. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, we go up next to this person, Matthew, who says, I'm not sure about everyone else, but the picture-in-picture picture really took me out of the later portion of the main event. I was really enjoying the start of the match, but they kept going to commercial. I understand that's part of the show, but it was just different with this presentation than compared to, say, a TNT title match where it doesn't bother me, or even the Lights Out match. Also, is QT on the level now where he can kick out of the crossroads? Looks like he's challenging Kenny after double or nothing. QT? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's the end of, like, a blood, you know, like, uh, the biggest feud in the, like, a personal grudge. I, I would give him a crossroads. Jake, even though I'm not the biggest fan of gimmick matches, I like the match and the finish with the inner circle surrendering was brilliant creative. The ending could have been executed better, but I like that no one submitted inner circle surrendered. So Jericho won't get hurt, which makes sense. Wardlow, I thought looked like a beast and MJF continues to trek towards that top spot. The commercials took, took it out for me at times. And that was the only negative. And he really enjoyed the promotion of Moxley and Nagata giving this nine crimson masks out of 10. Sean from Toronto says the blood and guts match had a good start, but was marred by too many commercial breaks, even with picture in picture. And the finish just annoyed me, though perhaps that was the point. Also, I thought we were getting a full hour for the match. And then they have two back to back promo segments beforehand. Perhaps they should have held this off for the pay-per-view. Let's go here to Bruce. Uh, The tone on Twitter seems to be that the main event wasn't nearly as gory as promised, but outside of, Khan bringing Necro Butcher out of retirement. I'm not sure what else could have been done. The Blood and Guts match itself started fantastically with Guevara stealing the show, but it did lose a bit of energy towards the end. While a necessary evil, the commercial breaks broke up the rhythm and the match could have perhaps been more clearly structured around them. On paper, I'm perfectly happy with the end coming via MJF supposedly threatening Jericho's life, but a rather unspectacular fall into pillows totally undercut the inner inner circle being willing to lose the match to protect their leader. What's what, what sort of gore could there been have been? I, I thought it. I mean, that to me was um, 
like more than delivered the, upon of like what what are you looking to to do more than what they did? I mean, you had two guys like bleeding buckets. Um, I. I, I and I'm not even way. like I'm not big on blood to begin with. Like I don't think that that's something that I'm I'm crazy about seeing to begin with. But that seems to be people's litmus test well, for what a big blow off match has to entail. I mean, I, I I suppose the they have nobody to blame but themselves for for calling the match blood and guts, right? Um, like I guess well, we saw me, we I, saw a lot of guts from Sammy Guevara. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Uh, you know, for me, I guess I was just expecting a love. I was expecting war games and I, I wasn't expecting, you know, exploding glass, like fluorescent tubes or anything like that. Um, like what, how much more gory were people expecting? We had like three people do blade jobs, three or four people do blade jobs, but yeah, I don't know. I we think when Jesse- you, when you look at the history of wrestling on cable television, like AEW has pushed the line pretty significantly this year when it comes to violent presentations. They have, yes. And then on the one that was promised to be the most violent, um, it came short. Dreaded pay-per-view. Yeah. We go to Jesse, who says, So, blood and guts. The match was good, but I think the commercial breaks really hurt the match, and for some reason, the ending was kind of anticlimactic. I don't know what I was expecting, but it seemed underwhelming. I think if they do this again, it needs to be on pay-per-view, so the commercial breaks won't affect it. As far as matches go, I think the Britt Baker-Thunder Rosa match is still better than this one, as far as match quality and violence. Uh, Do you think that the next time they do it, they'll... Wait for pay-per-view, John. Blood and guts? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. You could do either. I don't I don't think like one necessarily trumps the other. Um I th- I thought it was again, it's it's kind of hard not knowing where the direction is for double or nothing. I'd say this if they were going to come back with Jericho and MJF so quickly, um I mean maybe that's what necessitated doing this now. Um if you have a bigger plan for double or nothing. Uh, but for the future, I think you could do either. I think you could do this as a television event for the number. Uh, but just from a presentation standpoint, I think it's pretty clear from the feedback, pay-per-view, you eliminate commercial breaks, and that would that would play a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noah from Vaughn, say what you want about the ending, but I will never bash AEW for making sure a bump from that height is done safely, given to what given what happened to Matt Hardy last year. The blood and guts match really delivered, and I thought both Sammy Guevara and MJF came out of it looking like major stars, which seems to make sense given they are primed to be big parts of AEW's long-term future. Really looking forward to the possibility of Omega Cassidy at Double or Nothing with a full house in attendance. Uh, I don't disagree with Noah. Like, if that's... Um, I, I think it's fair for people to uh, look at it and, and note that it was a, an awkward end. But if it was done because of safety precautions, like um, perfection be damned. Like that is, as you said, like way more important that every if, if something was not ready, then I, I sure as shit wouldn't be taking that bump until I knew it was OK to do it. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a fine balance of like, you know, trying to maintain an illusion while still maintaining safety. And I think we have to like really give credit to WWE for managing to find that balance oftentimes when they attempt stunts like this. You know, seeing AEW attempt something so ambitious, I definitely think there are things that they, you know, we've talked about could have done better. Um, You know, somehow like hidden that that crash pad a little bit better. And then at some point you have to ask, was this too ambitious of a spot? You know, nobody asked them to like do, uh, they didn't need to end this match with a giant fall off of a cage. Yeah, they could have had they could have written Jericho off in any other way that they you know could have. 
uh, they wanted to within the cage itself. But they chose to do something really big to close the show. And, you know, you can make the argument that maybe this was too ambitious and that maybe that's worth criticizing for them falling short. Uh, okay, we got to Andrew who says, I was advertised intestines and was not given said guts. Zero out of ten. Anyway, this match was great, but it did have a few dead spots in there, and maybe they wanted to do the New Japan-style match where longer equals better in their minds. It seemed like the match peaked early and then hit a lull. The biggest issue with the match was the final spot, and the bump onto the pillows and the seal-painted cardboard looked a little hokey. It seems AEW has issues with their props department and might need a new guy to work on this stuff. Great show overall. All right, I'm going down here to Ben from Vancouver. The main event was everything I wanted out of a War Games match, not the Spotfest BS NXT versions of the match. Uh, NXT, I think, has put on some fantastic War Games um, since yes. they've introduced oh, them. Like they, yeah. those have been some excellent matches going back to 2017. Uh, I think the finish was pretty flat. The idea was good, but the execution was a bit off. They needed to put this injury for Jericho over seriously, or else it could risk being a Canyon type WCW waste of a bump. Uh, the match was great. Finish was off, but that was by far the loudest I've heard a crowd since the pandemic. And I think this match really gave Guevara a massive spotlight. Rest of the show was solid. I hope QT can now go back to dark. He just doesn't have it. Miro and Omega both had good promos. And I think that next week's show on paper looks better than this week. Eight out of 10. Let's close off here with B from New York, who says it's a bit of a problem when the announcers are finishing the show on something that's supposed to look like a threat to Jericho's career. And Shivani is already talking about Jericho coming back for revenge. Otherwise, I found the match to be good, but not great. I'm not apt to criticize commercials because they're a part of the show, but it seemed off to miss the big Wardlow entrance and the entire sequence that got them to the top of the cage. It was also kind of strange that the Inner Circle were so worried about Jericho's possible fall that they didn't even bother running up to get him after the bell rang. Seems like after months of not trusting MJF, that would be something they'd do. That said, the match did a great job of making MJF look like one of the top dogs in AEW, and these are moments where Guevara really gets the shine. And of, go- of course, it lived up to blood and guts, even though I could have lived without most of the he- chair headshots. As a one-man show, it definitely gets a passing grade. The rest of the show was mostly skippable to me, but I'm glad after a year we're finally getting the mirror everyone wanted. Yeah, I will say over the past week with uh, Masa Kitamiya with the head-to-head headbutt on Keiji Muto and then the chair shot tonight stuff I certainly don't ever need to see again Os- Osprey Shingo uh, they did that in the Osprey Shingo match too and it's like I feel five years from now I'll be singing the same song that I've been singing forever but there you go that was Dynamite the blood and guts edition so thanks to everyone for joining us all patrons that were on live tonight uh, it was fun to have all of you uh, join us for this Wednesday edition again uh, Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso members get to have live access to Rewind to Raw and Rewind to Dynamite every Monday and Wednesday, 15 minutes after the show ends. And then all patrons, welcome Friday. And if you're a Double Double, Ice Cap, or Espresso patron, I will be sending you a signed postcard to anywhere in the world. So uh, now is a great time to join at postwrestlingcafe.com. Look at that. Anywhere in the world, waiting delivers. Uh, so that's it. Thanks to everybody for tuning in, and we will speak with you later this week.